Take your Bibles and turn to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. And as you're turning to Judges chapter 2, I'm going to begin with a word of prayer. God, as we open up your word, we are in desperate need of you. Lord, sometimes we think that we don't need you. Sometimes we think we can manage without you, that we're strong enough, that we're smart enough, but we can't. So I pray that each person in here, including myself, will come to you desperate, knowing that you are our only remedy for salvation, knowing that you are our only strength for life. Lord, I pray that you'll help me as we look into this passage that you give me strength, you'll give me the words. Lord, I just pray that you'll help those that are here to listen attentively with the desire to grow. We ask this in your name. Amen. Judges chapter 2 is where we'll be in a moment. Um, I hear all the time people talk about, you know, the generation gap. You know, one generation is different than the other, and you know today every generation has a name, whether it's Generation X, Baby Boomers, whatever it is, every generation has a name. And uh, we oftentimes um, criticize those that are in our generation for whatever reason. They're, they're wrong, they don't have it right, and, and I think what the reality is is none of us have it right, <laughs> and we need to keep pursuing a relationship with God. Um, I heard a story about a, uh, a young man who was, who was making fun of his grandpa because he said, Grandpa, you, you know, you, you really need to learn how to text. And grandpa said, oh, I don't, I don't want to take time to do that. And he said, well, you need to learn how. And, and, and Grandpa, if you learn these you know, texting lingo, you don't have to really write out as much. And, and he said, yeah, but I don't understand what all that means. He said, oh, it's pretty simple. And so he said, you know, things like LOL. Does anyone know what LOL means for the younger, older generation? Laugh out loud. He said, you need to learn those things. And, and so the, the grandpa said, okay, I'm going to try. So he began trying to text, and he came home one day, and he said to his grandson, you know what, I, I started texting like you told me to, and today I got someone, I texted them, and they were very angry with me. And he said, well, what did you text? He said, well, this guy, you know, texted me and told me, he said, my, my wife passed away. And he said, I responded with LOL, just like you said. And he got very angry at me. The grandson said, Grandpa, do you know what that means? He said, yes, lots of love. He said, no, it's laugh out loud. Oh, so you see, there might be some generation gap. We hear, you know, if you're, I mentioned last week, if you're here and you're an older person, you might talk about the good old days, and, uh, and we talk about things like that. But what I want to talk about, and I mentioned this last week in our Vision Sunday, I want to spend some time looking at the past, not to criticize, but looking at the past to see all the things that God did for us and how that should affect our future. 
Last week we looked at the story in, in Joshua where, where God uh, worked in the lives of the uh, Israelites and He allowed them to cross the Jordan River on dry ground. And when, he cro- when they crossed, He said, now I want you to set up a memorial. I want you to set up a, a pile of rocks. And the reason for that was so you constantly can tell your generation that follows about the goodness of God. And we see at the end of the book of Joshua that the future of the people of God, the future of Israel, looked bright. It was an exciting time for them. The, uh, everything was going well. God had fulfilled all the promises that He had told Abraham. And, and, uh, and He told them that they would, they would prosper. And He had told them that they would not be in captivity. And He had done all of that. In fact, we come to the end of Joshua. And this is an interesting passage in Joshua 21.45. And, and God says, Not one word of all the good promises the Lord has made to, you, to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And they, this is a great time. Everything is going well. And because of this, the people made a covenant. We will follow God. If you look in, in, in Joshua, where, where Joshua comes and he's giving his, uh, his, uh, one of his final messages to the people, and he says to them, we need to follow God. You remember the famous line that he said? He said, uh, I don't know about you, but as for me and my house, what? We will serve the Lord. And the response by, that, by the people was overwhelming. Yeah, we're going to do the same. We're going to serve God. And God had made a covenant with them, and, and He recorded all of this in the Word. And then He told the people of Israel, now go and claim the inheritance that I have given you. And what did that mean? That meant go and drive out the inhabitants that are in your land and claim it as yours. And so... The people of Israel did that. And then we come to Judges chapter 1. We tell, see that God continues to tell them to go claim the land, but they fell short. We're not going to read through Judges chapter 1, but as you read through Judges chapter 1 over and over and over again, it says that the people did not finish the job. Isn't this amazing that these same individuals that just a a generation before watched their fathers cross the Jordan River on dry ground and then followed with them, suddenly now do not fulfill the commands that God had given them. These same people that had seen all the good things that God had done. These same people that, when they were children, gathered as a people group and marched around the city of Jericho, and without even raising a hand, the city, this massive, powerful city, fell to the ground. And yet, one generation later, one generation later, they're not pursuing God. They're not following the commands of God. You can see if you look at Judges 1, we're not going to read it, but Judges 1, starting in verse 27 and, and down to the end of the chapter, he, over and over again, it lists the inability of the people to finish the job that God had told them to do. And then we come to chapter 2, and in chapter 2 it talks about, again, how they weren't doing that. Look at specifically at verse 2. In verse 2 it says, And you will make no covenant with the inhabitants, we'll talk about that in a minute, of the land, and you shall break down their altars. But notice what it says, But you have not obeyed my voice. They came to a point where you know God had done all these great things for them and they had not obeyed the voice of the Lord. Then we come to verse 6 and notice what it says in verse 6, and Joshua dismissed the people and, and uh, the people of Israel went out to his inheritance to take possession of it. That, that passage there is a, 
is from here on out is kind of a, a parallel passage to chapter 1, just reiterating the fact that they didn't do what, what God told them to do and what Joshua reminded them to do. So then we come to our text, and we're going to start reading in verse 7. If Follow along if you will, and I'm going to read down to verse 11. God told them, go out and possess the land. Remember that. In verse 7 it says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation were gathered to their fathers. And then notice what it says, And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did, that, what, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals. Unfortunately, in this passage, we notice that commitments are too easily forgotten. One generation removed, things are completely different. One generation away from making a memorial to always remember what God had done for them to a time when they did not they forgot who God was. One generation removed from when they served God. One generation removed from when they went into Jericho and, and defeated Jericho without even doing anything on their own except walking. One generation removed from seeing the story of Ai when they went in and fought Ai, but because they did it in their own power, God didn't give them the victory. And when they confessed of the sin that was in the camp, God gave them the victory. One generation removed from that, and now they're not doing what God wants them to do, and they are failing over and over again how can this happen how can that take place how can you have a generation that remembers God's promises was strong in taking the land was was powerful when they did and then a generation later we have a people who do not even know God how does that take place I want to look at this morning three reasons why I believe it happened to the Israelites and then talk about what how it could happen to us if if we are not careful if we don't examine ourselves, and as we look at this text and the circumstances that led to it, we can see application for our own lives. Because here we are as a church, and as I said last week, if we weren't able to be here, that uh, our vision for this year, our church this year is celebrating 150 years as a church. And it's very easy for us to look back and see 150 years of faithfulness, 150 years where members remembered the Word of God, where members obeyed the commandments of God, and then a generation can follow that changes all that because they forget who God is. You know that, unfortunately whether it's in church and individuals, you've probably all seen that happen. A family where the parents were, by all, all um, looks, appearances, were faithful to God, but unfortunately their children completely went a different direction. Now, I'm not saying here that if your child is not living for God that it's, it's, uh, it's all on you, because I believe that you can raise your children the right way, and yet they, they still don't do what they're supposed to do. But we can look at Scripture and see how it did happen, and how they fell into this trap, and what took place. Three things we want to notice. First of all, characteristics of them. They did not know God and His Word. 
They did not know God and His Word. And usually when, or excuse me, usually when people don't know the Lord, it can be traced back to the lack of knowledge of the Word. Look, if you will, at, at, at Judges chapter 2 again in verse 10, and it says there, this generation arose after them who did not know the Lord. How does that take place? Because they forgot God, because they forgot God's Word. God's people were told over and over and over again, do not forget who I am. Do not forget what I have done. We see in other passages, uh, and this is later on, but God reminded them in Psalm 78 and verse 4, He says, We will not hide them from your children, but tell them to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and His wonders that He has done. Over and over again, not only before this, but after this, God told the people of Israel, Do never, for, never forget, never forget to tell your, the next generation of what God has done. It goes on in that passage in Psalms and says that the next generation might know them and the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep His commandments. God taught the people of Israel over and over again, you can never forget what I have done. And how, how, how can they possibly do that? They possibly do that by constantly going back and remembering what God had done in, by reading His Word. We see later in Israel's history that they continued to do this. They continued to forget who God was. And we see we get to the book of Hosea. If you know the story of Hosea, the people of Israel now have completely turned their back on God. And God sends a prophet by the name of Hosea to come and to preach to them. And he uses a, uh, a, a life illustration. And God tells Hosea to go and to marry a woman who is unfaithful. And he says, I want you to do that as a, as a picture to the world around you of Israel's unfaithfulness to me. And in that passage when he's talking, he says this, My people are destroyed. Why? For the lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I have rejected you from being priests to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also, I will also will forget your children. Now this is specifically written to the priests, but the passage we read in Psalms was written to, to all the people. And the idea that God was telling them that was it wasn't just the teachers to blame for kids not knowing the Lord. This text is telling us it's all people. Now God had already told the people of Israel that who, the primary responsibility of teaching the Bible to the next generation was the parents. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6 and verse 7, if it gets there, there we go. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children until talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Over and over and over again, the Bible told them it was the responsibility primarily, first and foremost of the parents, to teach the kids the Word of God. Parents, how are you doing on that? And this is not just, I mean, you look at this passage, it's pretty clear. This is not just, oh, I did a good job today because I brought my kids to church. But it's every aspect of life. Notice what it says there. When you, when you talk to them, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, all of those things are every aspect of life. You should be constantly teaching your kids. Why is it that this generation in judges forgot about God? Because their parents forgot to tell them. 
There's a reason why they came to that. And if you notice through the book of Judges over and over again, the people of Judges of that time are described as every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And a large factor of why they did that which was right in their own eyes because God was forgotten. And if, if God would have been taught, then the, the lasting impact on the generations of followed, they would have been they would have remembered. If we want the next generation of the Lord's people to not be like the generation in Judges chapter 2, then first and foremost, parents, you need to teach the ch- your children the Word of God and talk about it as much as you possibly can. The teaching that they receive here in church is fantastic. And I, I love that we have the opportunity as a parent, I love the opportunity to have my kids come and hear someone else reiterate what I said. And I think that's actually very important for them to get age-appropriate information that they can uh, take in their lives. And I don't want to discount that at all because I, I very much appreciate what teachers do, not only for my kids, but for the kids of this church. I think it's, I think it's important. But, as parents, we need to bring them as often as we can to hear the Word of God and, and, and never neglect to teach them at home. I always said as a youth pastor that I felt that my ministry was a supplement to parents. It should never replace the parents. Parents, your responsibility is to teach. That's why in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, the Bible does not say, Bible teachers, Sunday school teachers, bring up your congregation's children in the way they should go. In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. No, what does is, what is Ephesians 6, 4 say? It says, fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It is the responsibilities primarily placed on dad, secondarily placed on mom, And then we have the responsibility to also put other people in our kids' lives to help them grow. But here we have a generation that completely forgot about God because the book was not important enough to them. You're at home and you say, you can come up with every excuse why this isn't important enough to talk to your kids about. But it should be something that you pour over with your kids. Knowing the Lord begins with knowing His Word. And if we don't want the next generation to end up like the Judges chapter 2 generation that arose not knowing God, then, and, and, and then we as, as dads need to man up and fulfill our responsibilities, fulfill our duties that God gives us in our home to teach our families. Because to be honest, in our culture today, in our country today, we are... We are days, weeks away from our, from our country becoming like the nation of Israel that forgot God. If we're not careful. And that's why in, in Deuteronomy he says, teach them diligently to your kids. The second thing we notice is that not only did they forget God, but they didn't obey God. They did not fully obey the Lord. 
Joshua, when he was alive, he told his generation, he said, I want you to keep the laws of Moses and diligently trust God enough to obey him and finish the task that God has for you. And what was that task was to claim the land. And during the life of Joshua, they, they, for the most part, they did what they were supposed to do. There was times when they failed, but they did uh, what they were supposed to do. But uh, then it rose the next generation that did not obey the voice of the Lord. How did they not obey God? There's a number of different ways. First of all, they did not obey God because they began making covenants with the people of the land. They began uh, making covenants. And we see actually this started in the time of Joshua, but it it got even bigger in the time of the judges. In Joshua chapter 9, it talks about how they made a covenant with the Gibeonites because the Gibeonites tricked them into making a covenant. And God said, that's not what I want you to do. If you look at Judges chapter 2, And verse um, 2, again, uh, let's start in verse 1. In the middle there it says, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into a land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And you shall break their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. They were struggling with not obeying that command, but not not only that command, the command God had given them in in Exodus to have no other God before them, the command that God had given them in the law to to not marry anyone outside of of the Jewish race. And we see in in Judges chapter 3, look at Judges chapter 3 and verse 6. It says, and their daughters took to themselves, uh, and their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons and they served their gods. We saw in the passage here that it said in verse 11 that they, they did that which is evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served Baal. They worshipped other gods. This generation who did not know God followed in the footsteps of their father, but they took it a step further, and they said, we are not going to obey the command of God to, to uh, follow God and God alone. They did not obey God in driving out the inhabitants of the land. If you will, look at Judges chapter 1, and, and we'll look at verse 21. And God told them in Judges that they were continue to drive out the, the people, and this was God's way of allowing them to claim the inheritance they had, and, and they were to give an account of that, and, uh, but they didn't do that. They were not successful in that. Look at Judges chapter 1 and verse 21, and it says in that passage, but the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. And you will see, if you do a study on it, that many of these nations that the Israelites were supposed to drive out ended up becoming a great thorn in their side because they disobeyed God. But here's our application question for you. Are you obeying the commands of God? Specifically, when we talk about, I mentioned you know, the idea of parents teaching parents, what do your kids see in you? Are there things that you are currently not doing in the service of God? Are there things that you are currently doing that your kids see that are a violation of God? Just some examples we've talked about over the course of the uh, last number of months are Are you bearing one another's burdens? Do your kids see that? Are you seeking to reach those who have have wandered from the faith? Are you involved in the command to evangelize? Are you confessing your sins? Are you spending time with the Lord and reading and studying of Scripture? Are you spending time in prayer? 
Are you obeying what God has for you? Do your kids, do those around you know what your priority is? If you were to ask them, what is your highest priority? What would they say? Work? Hobbies? Family? What would they say is your highest priority? What is it that you talk about the most? And where would your kids say that your, your relationship with God is on your priority list? A number of years ago, when I was still the youth pastor, Pastor Miller gave me an opportunity to preach on a Sunday night a series of messages. Some of you remember, remember that. And, and I preached a series of messages on the fact that we're losing our kids. I don't say that to be depressing. I say that as, as reality, that studies have been done that, that of kids who have grown up in church, roughly two-thirds of them are leaving the church when they graduate from high school. Two-thirds. And why is that happening? In the studies, they, they asked, why is this taking place? And here's, here's the conclusion they came to. The number one reason why children are leaving the church when they become adults is because of this. Their parents did not adequately live out their faith. Your lack of obedience to God has an impact on you, but it also has an impact on those around you. And those of you here that say, uh, you know, my, my kids are gone. Yeah, but your impact, the way you live, impacts other people's kids. You have a circle of influence. And that is not to say, as I said earlier, that if you are diligent to keep, teach your kids, it's a guarantee that they will obey God, because that is not a guarantee but, I will say this though, if you don't teach your kids, it's most likely that they will disobey God. And that is what happened to this generation in Judges. Their parents, man, they knew all about God. They didn't teach them, and so the next generation forgot about God, and they surely didn't, diso- didn't obey God. And they did not fully obey God. Thirdly, They did not set themselves apart from the other nations. As we study the nation of Israel, we'll see later in 1 Samuel chapter 8 where the people of Israel came and began complaining to Samuel that they weren't like the other nations. And and so to be like the other nations, they wanted a king. And And because of that, they rejected God. We see here in Judges, although they're not asking for a king, that was one of the big problems that they had, is they wanted to be like the other nations, and they wanted to serve the gods of the other nations. And that was never God's intention. The nations that were, that were left among them, who weren't supposed to be there, God said drive them out, but they disobeyed that. The nations around them became a snare to them because they did not know God, they did not follow God, and so the people began following in their way, and they began to worshiping their gods instead of the Creator God. Notice, if you will, at Judges chapter 2, and look at verse 13. Oh, I was looking in the wrong book there. Uh, Judges chapter 2, look at verse 13. It says, And they abandoned the Lord and served Baals and Ashtaroth. And then notice what it says, So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunders. As we go through the book of Judges, we'll talk about those plunders. But the whole reason God called his people uh, to be different was so that they would be nothing like any of the other nations around them, so that they would be his. 
what happened over time is they began to, when they forgot God, they didn't obey the voice of God. They wanted to look like these other nations. That was not God's intention. Notice, if you will, in Exodus chapter 19, notice what it says, Now therefore, if you will, this is God speaking to his people early on after they left Egypt. If, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for the, all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God's desire for His people was to be different. He chose them to be His holy nation. He chose them because they were precious, they were special. And it says in this passage, if you will keep My commandments, if you will keep My law, you will always be My precious possession. The Israelites didn't want to be different. And the Israelites didn't want to obey God. And they were, but God wanted them to be different by obeying His Word. That's not what happened. He wanted them to be different because He wanted the, other, the world around them to see they were different. Notice, if you will, in Deuteron- look in Deuteronomy. And we see in Deuteronomy chapter 20, and it says, The Lord will establish you as a people holy to Himself as He has sworn to you. If you will keep the commandments of the Lord and walk in His ways, and all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord. God's intention was this. God's intention was that the world would look at the Israelites and see something different and know that they had the hand of God on their lives. They forgot God. They didn't follow God's word. They didn't obey God. And they began pursuing other gods so they could look like other nations. For us as Christians, when Jesus Christ came to earth and He died on the cross to save us from our sins, the message changed. And it changed in this way that no longer was God just going to work through the nation of Israel, His chosen people, but He was going to work through all man. And all mankind was given the opportunity to accept the gift of salvation. And, but then God had something for us as well. When we accept the gift of salvation, God says to us, you are sanctified. That word sanctified means to be set apart. That means we are different. We are supposed to be God's holy people. That's why in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 it says, but you are a chosen race. Talking about us as believers. You are a royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for His own possession. God's desire for you and for me is that we are different. I don't mean odd. okay? I mean different. I like the the King James uh, translation of this verse, it says that we're to be a peculiar people. There's a lot of peculiar people in here. That's not what we're meaning by that. It's supposed to be obvious. It's supposed to be obvious when the world looks at us that we are not like everyone else. Yet we are. And that was the problem with the the generation in Judges chapter 2. They had gotten to the point where they they blended in. In Titus, he tells us that in Titus 2.14, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, lawlessness to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. God's desire for us was that we 
would be different from the world so that we could do the things that He has for us to do. Christ died on the cross so that we will be different from the world and zealous for the things that the world thinks are strange. We need to be teaching our kids and our grandkids and our nieces and nephews and our, 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 the kids here in the church, and we need to be reminding ourselves that it is expected by God that we are different from the world in the way that we act and the way that we think. If we look like everyone else around us, we uh, might actually just be in the world ourselves. You shouldn't want your kids to fit in with their worldly peers. Now the Bible tells us we're to love the people of the world. And the Bible tells us we're to, we're to take the gospel to them. But that does not mean we need to conform to who they are. If your kids are being brought up in the training and admonition of the Lord, they should learn that they need to be different from their worldly peers. And that is a command by God. So let me ask you some questions. Do your kids have a different priority structure than their unsaved friends? Do your kids place value on on church higher than they place value on on their recreational activities? I remember when I was a kid, I loved playing sports and um, when I first uh, got into Little League, I loved playing baseball, and uh, my parents told me, they said, you can play Little League, you can be involved in this, but you will not miss church for a game. And I, I remember times, we had games on Sundays, and uh, you know the pastor would say amen, and me and my older sister who could drive, the two of us would go out the back door, and we'd hop in the car, and she'd drive me down to 7-Eleven for lunch. I know, that's a great lunch. But uh, she'd drive me down to 7-Eleven to get a hot dog and something to drink, and we'd hop back in the car, and she'd drive me to my game, and as we're driving the game, I'm in the back seat changing into my baseball uniform, hoping no one sees me. But my parents made a point of saying, you know what, your priority structure is different than your friends. And there was times where I'd show up at the game, and it's, it's already the second inning, and my, my teammates are going, you know, where have you been? Church. Because my priority structure was taught from, from a young age that your priority structure is different than the world. And there's, there's nothing that's going to uh, take that away from me. And we're going to continue to do that. We need to be reminded that our commitment to God is more important than anything else and your kids need to be reminded of that. We need to show this to the next generation. That having those extra activities is a great thing, but they should never take the place of God. They should never take the place of the things of God. Do your kids have a different priority structure than everyone else? Here's another question. Do your kids, do you teach your kids to be modest in the way they dress? Or do we follow the trends of the culture no matter what principles it violates? Now, I am not here to tell you that, you know, you have to, you know, dress you know, in Amish attire every day. But the modesty principles of Scripture are clear. 
And I'm amazed when, when parents allow their kids to dress in a way that is not following biblical, biblical principles because, well, it's what their friends wear. And I remember when I was a youth pastor, and I won't go into full detail, but I remember when I was a youth pastor where I had a parent come to me and say this to me. They said, can you establish a dress code in the youth group because my girls keep dressing a way I don't like and I don't want to tell them to change. That's why we forget God. Because as parents, we're not willing to say, you know what? You are going to be different than the world. We don't have to stick out like sore thumbs, but we are going to be different than the world. We need to teach our kids it's important to surround themselves with good people. We need to teach our kids that it's important to, to have good friends in their lives. Again, it does not mean that we, we put ourselves in a, in a bubble and hide from the world. No, the Bible tells us that we are supposed to interact with the world so that we can share the gospel with them. But yet, we also need to understand that. We don't want to shelter our kids to the point that they don't know even how to communicate to the world around them. But we need to teach that influences around them will change them. We need to teach our, our next generation not only to act differently, but to think differently. And this is, this is where it starts because I, I also know a number of people who, man, they played the game, they dressed the way they were supposed to, and, and they did all the things that were right, but it was never, ever something that was in their heart and mind. It was something that they conformed to. We need to teach our kids it's not just about the outward, it's about the inward, and we need to think differently from the world. We need to learn to discern things and think about things from an eternal perspective and making decisions based on, on, on what's best for us spiritually, not what's best for us socially. We need to glorify God and know that that's our number one priority in everything we do. Now, as parents, sometimes we have to make hard decisions. But our decisions that we make need to show our kids that we desire to be different. And we need to be content with being different. Going to church is not good enough. It's not just enough to come here and then live the rest of the week any way you want. No, we, we need to live in a way that's obvious. Being distinctly different from the world around you is what is necessary if you want to be like Christ. And that is the problem that these people had in, in this generation and judges is that they, they forgot about God and, and they, they, they didn't obey God and they wanted to be just like everyone else. Someone once said, worldly parents make worldly children. So you need to ask yourself, how are you doing? Again, this is not a legalistic statement. And I know that there are people that probably think that, that I'm being legalistic. I'm not. I'm saying we need to understand the Bible says we're, we are to be different. And 
Christians, the Bible tells us, are to be salt and light in the world. And if we are looking too much like the world, if we're trying to make our lives more uh, like the world, if we're trying to be more comfortable in the world, then we are not making the impact that we are to make. And we've become useless to God. Remember what it says in, 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 the, in the Bible. It says, narrow and difficult is the way that leads to life. If we want the next generation within this church, within this body, to arise not knowing the Lord, if we want them to happen, then, then by all means. But if we want the next generation to arise knowing God, then that means we ourselves need to understand what that means. As I said earlier, obviously doing these things does not guarantee your children will always desire to obey God. But we must do what we can. We must do our parts. And it's so incredibly sad to see a generation in, in this passage we looked at. It was just last week we were talking about how they set up this memorial to, to constantly... And remember, remember what God said while they were setting up this memorial? He said, so that one day your kids will say, Dad, why is this pile of rocks there? And you can say, because of what God did for us when he allowed us to cross the Jordan River. And now, just a period of 30, 40 years later, the Bible says they had forgotten God. So what do we do? Just in closing, three things, uh, application for us. Number one, get into the Word. You personally get into the Word. Study the Bible. Get into the Bible. And then, and then as, a, as a dad, as a mom, as a grandma, as a grandpa, whatever relationships you have under you, maybe it's just you're a spiritual dad. You have someone that you're discipling, whatever it is, and everyone should have that, by the way. Get into the Word and get your family into the Word. Be a shepherd of your family. Okay, my kids have it, you know, rough because I'm the shepherd of the church and of their family. But uh, get into the Word. Teach your kids. Secondly, obey the Lord completely. Show others how it has changed your life and be seriously committed to the, the task of obeying God in everything. And then finally, this can be a tough one, is be okay with being different. Be okay with it. I know when I was a, a teenager, I struggled with that. I struggled with it. I, I, I worked uh, jobs in, in different places, and I remember I had peers that I worked with that were my age, and I remember we would go and they'd start, they'd start uh, cussing and, and swearing, and then they'd start talking about uh, music that they listened to that I knew was profane. And, and I, I didn't like being different, and I wasn't okay with it, and so I would, I, would, I, I would start to follow what they were doing. And it was not productive in my life. It did not help me to grow. Those who have not been blessed by the Lord with children or are not yet children or your children are grown, you can be an impact on the future of the children by living in a way that is shows that you're okay with being different. In the way that not just in our, our appearance, but the way that we talk. I I am uh, flabbergasted, I guess is the best word I can say, when I when I see how people interact on on Facebook and other social media, and, and, and they're Christians. I mean, why don't we try to be different? 
Why don't we try it? It's what God desires for us. And as a church, as we continue to go on, a reality set in this morning as I was, as I was making some final preparation for this message, and I thought about this fact. The generation that we see here from, from Joshua at the beginning to, to here now in, in Judges was a period of 30, 40, 30 or 40 years. Now think about that for a moment. Where will we be 30 years from now? Just so you know, I'll be 71 and hopefully retired. <laughs> but the reality is there will be people if we have followed God and if we have done what God wants us to do and if we have obeyed the voice of the Lord and if we have taught our kids to obey the voice of the Lord and if they have taught their kids to obey the voice of the Lord, 30 years from now we could have individuals that are here in leadership faithfully serving God that aren't even born today. We have the privilege of having this morning, I didn't mention earlier, but uh, we have the privilege of having a, a newborn baby, Roman Paul Holdeman. In 30 years, maybe Roman Paul Holdeman will be, will be a leader of this church, serving God faithfully. But the reality is we could, also, we could also not have a church because we have chosen to not follow God. And I'm not saying that to discourage or depress, get you depressed. I'm saying that to ask you this question. Are you ready to be faithful to the task of teaching and training and fulfilling the commands that God has for us. Let's pray. God, we are truly blessed to have the privilege of being your called out ones, your set apart people. Lord, and that does not at all make me better than someone who's unsaved. It's by the grace of God that I have the privilege of being uh, one of your uh, holy priests, one of your holy children. And so, Lord, I pray that you will help us, first of all, Lord, to be humble enough to understand it is not through anything we have done, but it was because of your incredible grace because of your foreknowledge and will, that we are able to serve you. Lord, I pray that you will help us, that we will not be called the generation who forgot God, but we will be the generation that, that pursued you and taught to our children more about you. And I pray that you help us to be faithful to that task. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.